In the 1950s, Victor Gruen introduced a new concept to the United States. This was a world where Main Street reigned supreme, and the corner store was America's linchpin. This newfangled concept that Victor introduced was the shopping mall. A significant portion of what made these shopping malls successful was something called an anchor tenant. If you've ever been to a Macy's, JCPenney, Nordstrom, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These tenants came in other forms like grocery stores, gyms, or movie theaters. The entire point was to use these tenants as a draw so that smaller stores would benefit from their gravity. After all, once you've finished going to the gym, that corn dog from the food court can be pretty tantalizing. While shopping malls may be soon a thing of the past, this concept still rings true in B2B SaaS. I'm sure you know by now how important it is to figure out your target personas, but what if you could figure out anchor tenant personas? What's better than a persona that brings in other personas? Today's guest is Bob Butler, the chief commercial officer over at WorldPay for platforms. In our discussion today, we get into the benefits of anchor tenants and more importantly, how to find your anchor tenants. Additionally, we get into making waves in the fintech space. All that and more is coming up next. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Paddle CSO Patrick Campbell interviews Bob Butler about customer development. We talk about why some fintech is really tech fin, reducing the time and friction to execute, the buy now, pay later space, the anchor tenant persona, and finally, how to find anchor tenants. Timestamps to each section are listed in the show notes. And after you finish the episode, check out the in-depth field guide that'll help you accomplish your customer development goals. So who, who the heck are you and what do you guys do? I'm Bob Butler. I am, uh, well, now the chief commercial officer at World Pay for Platforms prior to the president of Payrix. We got acquired last fall, and uh, which was always nice. In this, in this business. Yeah, I've been doing fintech for the last 25 years. I mean, I was doing this stuff when it was still called .com. And so I've been through the ups and the downs. You know, I've had a great product, wrong time. Not so great product at the right time. And what was great about Payrix was we'd finally gotten to a situation where I came in, met with the, the original founders. I was the first person that they brought in. And I saw the right product at the right time. Uh, with the right solution for what's really happening in the marketplace. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, just out of curiosity, what was the right product, wrong time? Oh, uh, what we do is we embed payment technology and other financial services inside vertically focused software. So think of a gym, you know, gym management software. So, uh, and I always use this example. My sister was... uh, was an executive with a, with a big healthcare company, but fitness was her passion. And sure. so she went and opened up a gym. The first thing she did was uh, find the location, buy the equipment. Number three is I need a, I need a software or technology to actually run my gym. And so she picked this, t- uh, this software. And uh, the first one she went with had this sort of janky, you know, it did some billing, but it didn't really have payments yeah. embedded. So she chose a different software, payments was embedded, and, and everything just went smooth. It was frictionless. And um, so I saw that she had done that, and you know, it was a shift in the marketplace. I met the original founders at Payrix, uh, Benny and Barak, 
And they had built a solution yeah. that actually could go out and, and we could scale this to actually create a bunch of, uh, you've heard of the company Toast. Yep. So it's a, a point of sale software. What, what our software allowed vertically focused software companies to do is to create hundreds and thousands of mini toasts. So think of uh, a software to run your pest control business, yeah. a software to run your landscaping business, yeah. a, soft, a software to run, I, obviously, gym management, your hair salons, yeah. you name it. There is a vertically focused software for that particular business. And that, that is a relatively new phenomenon over the last, call it 10 years. And so these guys had, had built this product. I came in, we, we added a bunch of people to the team and we took this thing from, from roughly, you know, four or $5 million in revenue to over a hundred million in four years. Nice. Yeah. Nice little journey, huh? Yeah. A fast journey. That's Lots great. of fun. Kind of curious to, to take, maybe take a step back because I think a lot of SaaS folks listening and yeah. there's always this enamorment, one with like payments and like fintech because they have to charge money and, sure. you know, they buy these types of products. But also the fintech space is also kind of exciting because as you were kind of describing, there's been... Toast, MindBody, a bunch of these other products that have started to like embed yeah. fintech. How would you describe the fintech space? Like if you're trying to teach like someone who's not a complete idiot, but someone who's like in the SaaS space, like here's the scope of it, because I'm now in the fintech space because we just got bought by a payments company. And so it's like, I'm trying to scope that out myself. And I'm trying to understand like you have like the payments people, the billing people, you got all this other stuff. Like how would you describe yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. You know, the way that I, I view fintech is, and you mentioned MindBody and a couple of the others, which I have a ton of respect for. I look at them as tech fins. Of so, so think yeah, about yeah. it. They're technology they're tech first, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they've embedded the, the financial piece of it. And I think every software company is going to be a tech fin. And so to me, when I, when I look at any kind of a fintech application, I'm looking for, you know, first off, what problem are they solving? And second, how is this going to make the life of whether it be the consumer or the small business owner or whoever it might be, how is their life going to be improved from that? And uh, sometimes it involves payments and sometimes it just involves information and making things sort of come together. And I was doing FinTech back when it was not sexy. That one thing they always say, I was country when country wasn't cool. <laughs> I was FinTech when FinTech wasn't cool. And now it's cool. It's hot. And, and everybody's sort of on it. But it, to me, it usually involves some kind of, of financial application or financial information that's a part of, of any kind of a technology platform. So, you know, I see some people claiming that they're fintech and, and I'm like, I'm really having a hard time seeing that. But the way I see the future is, you know, every technology is going to have some kind of financial application to it. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I still think we're, you know, I hate to use a baseball analogy, but I, I think we're maybe at the, the, the top of the second or bottom of the second inning uh, kind of thing and what's going to continue to happen because I saw applications coming on, oh, go back to the late 2000s. And what was interesting is those applications are being replaced by applications like what, what Payrix brought to the table. And what's, you know, companies that I have a ton of respect for, Stripe and Adyen, but what's going to happen is we don't know where this goes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so the next 10 or 15 years is actually a pretty exciting time yeah. to, to be involved in fintech. So you should, you should be happy that, uh, that you're doing this. I mean, and, and you'll see how everything rolls. But, you know, it's funny. Bill Clinton, when he was president, made a comment. 
you know, that I keyed in on and I was really young at the time. He said, young people should be looking at businesses that are involved with the movement of money. And I keyed into that early on. That was and I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the correct quote, but it's sure, somewhere yeah. along those lines. And if you look at life from the 90s all the way through now, I think it still holds true. And I think, you know, you've got a bunch of old infrastructure that's in the payment space or in the insurance space or, or really in the banking space. And you've got a bunch of new technology coming on and, and how all that sort of comes together over time is going to be super interesting. To back up a second, because I think you said, I, I like the tech fin, you know, kind yeah. of, kind of uh, not a metaphor, but yeah. turn of phrase uh, that you use. So what are the different like layers or vectors that a technology company can do, right? I, I envision, and I'll, I'll get, maybe start you here because I envision like one of the easiest or two of the easiest are like, if you're a consumer product offering up financing of some sort, sure. buy now, pay later, financing, et cetera. B2B product, you can do the same thing. You can offer up payments infrastructure for your customer. Like what are the different things if I'm like a tech company and I'm trying to add my fin, yeah. like what are the different layers that you think exist? Yeah. yeah. So, so we looked at this, you know, me and uh, Benny Silverstein, my found, uh, founder that, at yeah. Payrix, we started really digging deep into this a few years ago. And, and we created this, this slide. I, I now call it the crazy uncle slide because when we showed it to the board, they looked at me like I was crazy, you know, uh, and I got to give Benny and I, we, we worked on this together, but we were just looking at embedding payments at that time. But what you're going to see now is now you're seeing the advent, especially for small and mid-sized businesses through these technology platforms. Because when I, I'll go back to the, my sister's example, she basically said, if I never had to go to another, a bank again, I wouldn't. Boom. The light went off for me. She's like, so if you can start embedding banking into that technology platform. You know, I was I was a small business owner. Can you embed insurance? Because that was a pain for me to actually go out and get insurance for my little business. If you can embed insurance, embed payroll, embed, you know, issuing of credit cards and, and embed lending. Like, yeah. you're going to see the entire embedded fintech space blow up in the next several years. And, and this is borne out by real data, not just yeah. Not just, you know, Bob and Benny working on a project together, uh, skunk works kind of thing. But really, it's all about the shifting in distribution models. So instead of, you know, I have to go out to State Farm to get my insurance and I have to go to Wells Fargo to get my banking and I have to go to uh, Chase Payment Tech to get my credit card processing. What's going to happen in the future is whether you be a small business or, or even a consumer, you're going to go one place. That's going to be sort of your cool place and uh, your technology platform. Or, or, and, and that's why what's happening now is so important. You're going to buy all your products from there. It's, this is a distribution model shift. When you're kind of trying to create that tech fin type company, it's kind of like the premise of my question is it's a little scary to get into like the finance world or like the, the because it's, it's so different, right? And obviously you probably you know, felt that pain the first time if you're an operator getting into yeah. the SaaS world or subscription world. Sure. But what's the gateway? It sounds like partnering or partnering. using a product, you know, yeah. like Payrix to shamelessly yeah. plug a little bit is yeah. probably like the first thing to do because you don't have to worry about all the back end. You just worry about like validating and, you know, adding that to your, your idea, right? Yeah. I mean, so one of the main reasons that the acquisition of Payrix by FIS and WorldPay made so much sense was FIS, big company, yeah. but has relationships with all the major banks around the world. 
And all of a sudden you put those banks together with some of the, you know, the cutting edge technology that a Payrix brings. And we now have distribution for all of these products and services. So a tech fin or a software company or a platform can come to one place and say, okay, yeah, we, we're looking for a really good partner here. And uh, w- what's amazing is, yes, we can get our payment credit card processing services, and that makes a ton of sense. But our small businesses will also need credit. And that maybe in many cases, their customers, so the, the small businesses' customers need credit. So think of a, a roofing contractor. So if you think of a roofing contractor software, we have the largest one on our platform in North America. We do their credit card processing. It makes sense that those roofing customers of them are going to, going to require credit. And even more important is the customers of the roofing contractors. Okay, all of a sudden I'm redoing my roof. It's $40,000 to redo my roof. I don't want to pay for that all at one time. I need that to just come in. And if everything is smooth and, and frictionless, that consumer gets that credit to redo their roof through that technology platform. Which therein helps that software company's customer and then them themselves exactly. like as a company. So, yeah. So think about it. In the in the mix, the software company benefits. They're helping their their customer grow because otherwise they couldn't make that sale. And at the same time, the end consumer's getting a new roof. Yeah. And along the way, all the people involved in the distribution of that, those loans and 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 or you know collections of that they're all able to make some money in in the process including the software company who's providing a ton of value for their customer so that's why i think the tech fin thing is so key because you know it's no longer okay i'm a roofing contractor and i'm going to the i'm going to the bank a bank you know i deposit my money and they might give me a loan they might not but now I'm going to my technology provider. They're not only which helping I'm already me. going to. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're not only helping me collect my payments, but they're providing me with a, uh, a method of of getting capital to sure. grow my business, and they're helping my consumers finance the yeah. projects that I'm actually selling to them. Like you said, something really interesting that I think is very obvious to you, but I think it's really important to like double down on sure. is basically where you know time and money are fungible. So really, yeah. what's happening there? is you are helping the software, like a a financial product helps the software company, which therein helps their customers, which therein helps the end customer, basically reduce the amount of time and the friction to just do stuff, right? Because of the movement of money that you were talking about with that Bill Clinton quote, which is like, basically like with the movement of money being a lot less uh, friction heavy or a lot less have a lot less barriers, more stuff can happen over a recurring amount of time rather than like, we have to wait, 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 big sum of money. Wait, 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 big sum of money. Is 100%. that is that kind of the thing yeah, there? Okay. I, I think it's not only frictionless, it's 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 efficient. You know, I go back to to some of the example my sister had. She she the main reason she liked the embedded payment model of her technology provider was all about she has no reconciliation to do. She doesn't have to go to one system, balance it off the other system. It just is clean. And it updates within her software. So Everything's sort of up to date and it's working really cool. Now, it's funny because when we went into the pandemic and everybody went out for PPP loans, basically what she had to do was download all that data from the software and go to this local bank 
And they, of course, sat on the application. She ultimately got her PPP loan after uh, one of my brothers, you know, sent a letter to the Jeez. to the senators in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. Yeah, but it was crazy. But but the the problem is, had she been able to just push a button, I'm requesting my PPP loan, and you have all the data within the technology platform. That's how that thing gets smoothed down. It's it's time and money, and it's yeah. like you want to you want to be able to smooth things down. And you want to keep commerce flowing. And I think that's the last thing you just said is really important because especially in a B2B environment, theoretically, you reduce that time and makes things flow for your customer, which therein brings you more revenue because you get that flywheel going. And I think that what I have learned, at least in like the financial space or the tech fin space, however you want to structure it, is it's another flywheel that we haven't thought about as operators as much as we've thought about like the growth flywheel and retention flywheel, right? It's like, it's this new flywheel that seems scary because, oh, I don't know anything about debt, anything about finance, et cetera. Think about the net net revenue retention on this. Oh, 100%. That's what I'm saying. It's just insane. It it, it has to improve many different numbers inside the business. Like I would bet, and we could find this data where it would be interesting to see like, a customer who has, you know, what is their acquisition volume, their retention, their monetization, like Lyft, if they're using a fintech product somewhere in their stack versus not, that's probably really, I should pull that for the episode. That's really interesting. It's a great data point that you should look at. And and I think think what you're going to start seeing, just because I've seen in the investments, in the investor space, spending time speaking to a lot of VCs and PEs, like they're all hot on payments. They're all in vertical software and payments. And, uh, and what's going to happen is like those metrics like net revenue retention and the stickiness of the client is going to be super key. And I just go back to when I first started right out of college at Penn State, I started working for a bank. And I remember I, I started actually in the retail side of the bank. So the branch part uh, wasn't there very long, had to get to the commercial side where you can make some deals happen. But what was interesting was I remember it was like you open up a DDA, a bank account, and then you get them a credit card. And then you get them a car loan and then you get them a mortgage. And then the next thing you know, in 15 years, you get them into the private banking group because they've made some money. And 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 that is how banking works. OK, well, if you think of the same paradigm for technology providers, again, I look at, at, at my sister's business. She pays one hundred and fifty bucks a month for software. I know that her software company is making 40 basis points off that million dollars a year that she's running through her software. That's $4,000. So what, 1,800 in software revenue, 4,000 in payments revenue. And it's so sticky that even though she might not like the software any longer, she can't move easily. And then, so if you start thinking, if I can get a hook into the, on the lending side, if I can get another hook in there and I'm providing their payroll services or their insurance services, it's all about, to me, building total enterprise value of the, of the platform of the stack. I think what's interesting, too, is that the thing you just said about the basis points and payments, stuff like that, like part of the deal is for us was we we're building software. We have a paddle that's a billing, right? And so all of a sudden, like the way we monetize some of the software we're building can change dramatically because our LTV doesn't have to be contingent on, you know, the certain amount of expansion, et cetera, because, you know, we could theoretically in a vacuum lower that price, hopefully get more acquisition out of it and more spread and then make all the money up on the back end, which is really exciting. And I think it's something that I haven't thought enough about. Obviously, like you're in the middle of it, which is interesting. But one thing that 
I've, I find interesting about products like yours. Actually, before I get to that question, buy now, pay later space. Yeah. Like from an outsider's perspective, it was super innovative, but then there's so many of them. And then like everything's 0%, right? What's your take on all that? Is it one of those things that, you know, people are just over their skis and that's always going to happen in different, you know, industries, whether it's fintech or not, or is it something where it's like, no, like the models do support, you know, what, just what's your feedback on yeah. that? Cause that's, it's kind of interesting. Cause it's like, I would want to add that to my app, but it's like, there's so many of them. Is this going to burn up in my face at some point? That type of thing. Yeah. But to me, it's like, first off, you know, full disclosure, I'm an angel in, in a oh, small buy now, pay later. And again, I back the founder on this and it's, it's, it's not one of the big ones, but if you really look at buy now, pay later, you know, the barrier to entry on that was not really high. So clearly Klarna had come out early on in the, in the game and they created the market. Depending on who holds the credit risk on this, it always goes back to who's holding the paper. Like to me, you know, I've, I've used buy now, pay later myself, you know, through my American Express or through my Citibank card just to try it out. Okay. Uh, I was going to ask, I was like, why? I imagine you don't need to. Like, no, it's not of a course need, I don't but need yeah, to. Yeah, I, I did last year. It was like, I was curious hey, if it was more than ready, just, yeah, you know, we're, curiosity. No, yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. like, I wanted to see how this thing was 0%. I'm going to try it out. Yeah, see what happens. Yeah. yeah and I, I ended up paying it off because I'm like, yeah, this leaves balances that show on my credit report. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm used to paying my credit cards off 100% every month. So I, I ended up not doing it. So for me, I'm not the I'm not the typical consumer as it relates to those kind of things. But my concern has always been on buy now, pay later is, uh, you know, I got a credit card when I was in college. I think as a junior in college, they were giving these credit cards out. There's no way I should have had a credit card back then. And you wanted the free T-shirt for the application. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and of course, you know, I, I ran that limit up like within a, within a month, cause I, what, maybe a thousand, $2,000 limit. I ran that stuff up. And so I didn't understand it. And I, I think that we run the same risk with buy now, pay later. I, I listened to Scott Galloway uh, a lot and he always comments and, and he's hot against buy now, pay later for consumers. Yeah. From my point of view, depending on who's holding the bag, yeah. like at the end of the day and, you know, because buy now, pay later doesn't, there's not a lot of credit checks on that. So a little froth in the market. With that it's stuff. a little yeah. frothy. And I think people just got a little bit out. I think you were spot on. They got out ahead of their skis. But with that said, you know, I think where the applications make sense, where you've partnered with the right merchant who knows who their customers are. Uh, I think buy now, pay later can be a, a strong thing. But I, I clearly think it's it's due for a right sizing. Yeah, that's what kind of happens with, I would say, like any debt looking products i'm sure in this space it's like people try to push the leverage that they can because they're a startup and they want to like grow really quickly and then yeah it depends on who's holding the paper that type of thing <laughs> so it's probably something to like be concerned about if you're going into the tech fin you know move but well, and, and that's why i think the tech fin partners need to be looking about uh, like risk is to me the number one thing like some companies you know even on the payment side there's there's credit risk you know even though the payments are coming in and um we always tell our platforms, like, how much risk do you want to hold? You know, some some platforms, like, rest, let's call it a restaurant point of sale, like, there are hardly any risk. I mean, they swipe the credit card, you know, you delivered the product at the time of service. But then there's other software where there's risk of an advanced delivery, or, you know, a delayed delivery. So they pay today, but that product or service doesn't come in for, you know, think of travel. Like, you make that deposit on your, your cruise, you're not going on that for 12 months, and, you know, if you're the software platform, do you really want to hold that risk? 
And, and that's where finding good partners, both on the, you know, the collection of, of money, as well as the, you know, the loans and other yeah. things, finding partners who are willing to pick up some of that risk, it's gonna cost you a few basis points here and there, but it's definitely worth it at, worth it at the end of the day. One of the horror stories, remember Fire Festival, that, that big thing? Um, there's a company called Table List out of Boston. Yeah. And they had partnered up with the guy who was running Fire Festival to like basically be the POS system for all the payments yeah. online. And they got left holding the bag. And 100%. it and it was like it was millions of dollars in prepayments that all the cash had been basically spent because they had advanced it. And it's yeah, so there's there's definitely risk there. And I think that's why like finding partners who are both reputable and are gonna be around a lot. But Actually, a little bit of a tack change, like curious. The one thing that I think you guys did well, and also that I think a lot of companies, whether they're fintech, tech fin, just tech, yeah. et cetera, is finding those like ideal customers, yeah. like those beachhead customers, and then really kind of doubling down on using them in many different ways, right? And so I'd love to kind of go through that. Why do it? How do you do it? How do you utilize it? All that kind of stuff. So, so maybe made loosely I'm kind of defining it. Maybe you define it. Like yeah. what's, what's important. What am I getting at? Yeah, 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 no, I mean, Hey, I think at the end of the day, we're here at a great conference and people come in with some great ideas and great products. And, uh, you know, especially on the product led kind of, kind of, kind of companies. And it's like, they built something super cool. And, you know, my question, you know, when, especially when I started with, with the guys at Paris, I'm like, like, who's our ideal client? Like, like to me, the most important question is, and and at first we sort of, you know, screwed around trying to figure out like, well, let's go after these guys. Oh, that's not going to work. And then, you know, so we honed in on, on some real tight firmographic demographic kind of data on each of the customers. And then, then we made them our ideal clients. Like, and, and what I did was, you know, we went out and signed, uh, you know, the, you know, what we call anchor tenants. And, and, and to me, you know, it's super important for any software company, really any company, because if you think about this anchor tenant strategy, what, what it really is, is what what hometown mall developers have been doing for decades. So when you think of your hometown mall, what do you got? You got Macy's and Nordstrom, you know, back in the early 2000s, Abercrombie was an anchor. So the anchor tenants are who bring in all of the other retailers into that mall. And so the way that I approach this, not only here at Payrex, but it's the way I look at everything. And it's the like, who are the ideal customers? Okay, really tighten that up. Like, know exactly, okay, they, they're going to have 10 to 250 employees. Or are they going to have 10 to 5? You know, just the super basic stuff. Really understand who the buyer persona is. And I mean, are you selling to the head of technology or are you selling to the CEO or are you selling to the head of sales? Like these are basic questions, but you know, yes, you might talk to every one of them, but the fact of the matter is who is really the ideal one and then bring the land, those customers and then treat them like royalty. Like, and if you treat them like royalty, they will end up being your biggest advocates as you start to sort of land and expand. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, you can use that customer for the reference for these other five customers. In theory, you know, they become your Nordstrom. They become your Apple store. They become your Abercrombie. So if I, so if we back up a second, anchor tenant, I get the metaphors perfect. What's a good anchor tenant look like? It sounds like they're in their ideal persona. Yep. Is it 
a certain level of brand cachet. Like I mentioned, you mentioned WorldPay. I've heard of WorldPay. You know yeah. what I mean? Even I don't know what they do. I know WorldPay, right? Yeah. Is it like that? Like what should I be looking for in a great anchor tenant? Yeah, to me, it's to me, it's less about brand. It's it's more about who they are in their product, you know, in their in their market. So um, one of our early anchor tenants is in a space that is in the self-storage industry space. So it's a vertical software that serves owner operators of self-storage units. So when you think of that, like, wow, that's an interesting esoteric. How big is that business? I don't even know. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it turns out there's a business there. Well, guess what? Like it it is run by an amazing group of people out of Austin. They are the number one player in this space. They built quite an amazing business. And all of a sudden, if you go to your next ICP, which might be a vertical, in our case, a vertical software in the, in the not-for-profit space, I'm able to say, hey, by the way, I have these guys over here. They're number one in their vertical. You should talk to them because you're number one in your vertical and it might make a lot of sense. And, oh, boom. So it was less about branding and more about making sure that it's relevant to your other ideal clients. So it's easy enough to be like, all right, we got to go find this person. They're going to go after, you know, I can then talk to the next person and be like, hey, look at these guys. They're doing everything and they're actually doing it rather than just like they kind of half-assed did it and then gave you their logo permission. Yeah. To me, your ideal clients have to be like among the best people in their G2 space. Sure, sure, sure. That's great. That's a good, that's a good litmus on it. Yeah. You you know, if they're, if they've got below market ratings, you know, 10 customers, like things of that nature, like that's in our case, we didn't want that. And I always, I always think it's super cool when they don't have a G2 space or like what we did, like there's no G2 space for embedded payments. Okay. Or embedded FinTech, but that's awesome for us because now we can actually create that space and that's how I view everything. But but yeah, when we were creating Anchor Tenants, like we talked to our investors, we talked to a lot of other investors, and then we really assessed the market and we picked, you know, I have the number one roofing contractor. And uh, what was interesting about making those guys one of our Anchor Tenants was, yeah, it's a super esoteric, specific vertical, but they're number one in that vertical. So a couple of questions. I'm going to take you through. How did you find them? Yeah. How'd you convince them to use your products? Yeah. And then how do you use them now that they're customers, right? And so like, I'm assuming you didn't under, you weren't like, I know the number one roofing contractor, you know, that type yeah. of thing. So what was the search space like? So so what was interesting, yeah, and we'll use that, that particular example. So once we had identified, we wanted, you know, companies in a vertical software. Of- yeah. Yeah, we, we were specific because we, we started seeing and the, you know, and the info board out, we started seeing a lot of small and mid-sized businesses moving away from just using QuickBooks. They might still use it, but they were going to not a full CRM, but sort of this quasi small business CRM, very specific to their industry. So that's how we found our ideal client. We're like, wow, this is actually happening. And then, you know, I was like, Okay, you know, let's pick a few verticals and that we think might apply. So we started with eight. We moved to 16. We now had 24, you know, ultimately got to about 24. And were you just like 
Googling? Like, where you just, or you're like, you know I wonder if there's software Here's here. Let's crazy, find out. I mean, yeah. you really want to know the truth? Yeah, like, yeah. like the, the real truth was I went out to Captera and G2. And just started looking. And I just started, I said, okay. And what I did and, you know, what, what the founder, what do we do all day? Oh, I had to take my dog to the vet. Oh, here we go. Oh, like there's got to be a veterinary software. Yeah. Boom. We saw a whole list of veterinary. And these are the, these are the names. And then it was, um, I was working on a project on, on a house and I'm like, oh, there's got to be general contractors. Okay. Well, once I hit that, I saw something in there that got us over to roofing contractors and plumbers, software that's for plumbers, software, you know, and then we just started dividing that up and going through the list. I mean, it's smart. super, it's a smart. super manual super process. Smart. No, but that's really smart. Cause uh, G2 and Captera did a lot of the work for you. Well, and, and the funny thing is, I called both G2 and Captera up and I'm like, hey, can I buy these like already downloadable lists? lists? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, no. No, they're like, no, that's not what we do. Do you want to go up on our site? I'm like, we don't have that kind of money. And, uh, you know, we were a tightly funded uh, startup. So, okay. So we found them. How do we convince them? Yeah. So we just reach out to them. And, and in that particular case of that one, they were, they had some, older kind of a partnership with a, what I call a legacy processor. And they, they said, hey, as a matter of fact, we know we need to look at this. We got right to the, the CEO and the head of product. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll take a look at you. And they, they looked at us and they looked at Stripe and, you know, we came in with a, what we thought was a more compelling offer. And we told them up front, yeah. you know, guys, we're backed by these guys. We're not super huge yet. And you're going to be the marquee customer. You're our anchor. So you're going to get all of our attention. You're going to get all the attention. That's great. So it's just kind of like a classic, I don't want to say classic, but like a sales process with the facts and figures that you had. And then, so how do you use them? So you you set, I'm sure like case studies, references. Case studies, white papers, blogs, podcasts, old school references. Because, you know, all of a sudden now you are talking to that plumbing software or that lawn care software. They need to talk to somebody and they need to know that that somebody is either on that G2 or Captera list and where they are. I'm so, sure, you know, it's funny. It's a little different. It's going back a little bit. I'm sure there's a value in you just sell it. Like this, there's no reason for you to sell this list. Yeah. But now I'm thinking, I'm like, it'd be really cool to have like a taxonomy list from G2 of all these different verticals. Like it would be valuable just to know like something in chiropractic. I'm sure there's software that like there is we haven't even thought of. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah ChiroTouch and a bunch of other ones. Yeah. So. No, that's really cool. And I guess the anchor tenant strategy, you know, you're four years in. And you and you hope that they keep growing. Of course, of course, right? Because yeah. then, you know, it helps kind of the flywheel there. Is this like a first year thing and then kind of go from there? Or are you constantly, because your product's evolving, getting more anchor tenants? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think for us, it was the first couple of year thing. You're only four years old, yeah. so it's a little hard to tell. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah we're yeah, a couple yeah. years older than that, but four years of really, really high growth. Yeah, what I would say is, you know, it was early on, get the anchors in. Now, hey, just like any mall, yeah. uh, JCPenney and Sears go out of business. Yeah, it's true. You got to okay? find another one, yeah. You got to find someone to fill that spot. Yeah. You know, shout out to Sears. I have a friend who, who's still, who, who's, who's running it's Sears. Still holding on. Yeah, yeah, yeah still yeah, holding yeah. on and driving the business. So I'm going to send him to the podcast and let him know that I mentioned his name. But, but, uh, but they opened a brand new Sears location in Puerto Rico this year. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Sears and Kmart are still going strong. Well, it's like, it's just the business evolves and yeah, something else. For yeah, sure. yeah, it's cool. But, but that's what you do. Like you're, yeah. you're going to lose an anchor. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And you might lose it because they got acquired yeah. or you might lose it for whatever reason. Yeah. Now 
we've been fortunate. We haven't lost any of our anchors. Sure. But what I will tell you is we need to have another anchor behind them sure. to replace them. That's great. Awesome, man. This is so good. Like, where can people find you? Anything you want to plug? Yeah. Anything like that? Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm driving all the commercial business, marketing, sales, all that for World Pay for Platforms. Uh, but my email is still pretty simple. It's just bob at payrix, P-A-Y-R-I-X.com. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, you know, all those fun places. Uh, yeah, I mean, hey, we're here to talk to any vertical software that wants to talk about embedded uh, payments or embedded fintech, embedded banking, embedded lending. That's what we're all about. And that's, uh, that's, that's my plug, but, uh, but I've really enjoyed the time today. Yeah, this is good, man. Awesome. Great. A huge shout out to Bob for doing this podcast. Now you know all about Bob's worldview on customer development. Today, we talked about why some fintech is really tech fin, reducing the time and friction to execute, the buy now, pay later space, the anchor tenant persona, and how to find anchor tenants. If you want to support Paddle in the show, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. Thanks for listening and make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle. Paddle.